Welcome to the More Love podcast. Today I'm talking with Anne from far north Queensland, Australia. 18 years ago, she had a cardiac arrest when she was just 54 and she had the most wonderful experience that can help us to connect to who we really are if we just listen carefully. So open your hearts and listen. Anne, would you tell us your story? Yes, Helen, I'd be very pleased to tell it. So going back to 2001, I was working at an aged care facility as an assistant nurse. I was presenting with shortness of breath. By the end of each shift, the pain in the, my, between my shoulders was quite severe, but I just put it off because, we, you know, you really work hard in those um, places. Um, and of a night, I couldn't catch my breath. Mostly at night, I was having difficulty. And uh, so I went off to the doctor and he told me that I had adulthood asthma. So I bought a Ventolin machine and I would sit up on this Ventolin, uh, Ventolin into the machine and sit there on and off through the night. But I'd still go to work the next day. And one of the nurses there said to me this day, Anne, you look terrible. You're grey. What's going on? And she, I said, I can't breathe, especially at night. And she says, anything swelling on you? And I said, yes, my left foot. And she said, you must go and get that checked out. So after I finished my shift, I went straight away to the Pioneer Hospital where they had an x-ray department. I went in there and... Um, I'd gone to the doctor, I'm sorry, first off, and he gave me uh, the slip to go and have the chest X-ray done. Uh, I went in and had it done, and I was getting dressed out of the gown, and a young girl come in and said, Mrs Brown, do you need a hand to get dressed? And I'm thinking to myself, gee, what, you know, that I was, needed this help. So I said, no, I'm all right. And I, she said, well, just wait for your results. So I walked out and sat down. They called me over and they gave me the x-rays. And back in them days, the results were in the x-rays. So I get out to the car and I open it up. And it had cardiac failure in big black letters and underlined. <laughs> and I thought, oh, no. I went to the doctor. He said, don't panic, in. He put me on some medication, some blood pressure tablets. I think it was and a beta blocker. Uh, I had to go to Townsville for an angiogram. Uh, then I was told my diagnosis, this is, took till October of that year, 2001, that I had severe dilated cardiomyopathy and I was in profound heart failure. I couldn't have walked from the bed to the front door. I was that tired and everything was an effort. And on the 12th of May 2002, I had a cardiac arrest at home. For those seven months, I can assure you, I had some arguments with God. I am the mother of five boys and the twins are the youngest. And they were putting Doug and I, my husband and I, and now been married for 52 years. So back then, the twins were playing up on us and I said, oh, Lord, even if I made it home to heaven, I said to him, 
how could you possibly be happy there when you're worried sick about them all down here? I just couldn't get my head about it. So God and I had a few <laughs> arguments <laughs> on the 12th of May, 2002, and I can remember that what had happened the evening before. Uh, we had friends up from Brisbane. It was Mother's Day weekend. Uh, Terry and Dale and their two children and Doug and I were at home. And after we had tea, Doug and Dale went fishing. Terry and I stayed at home and we were talking and the kids went off to sleep. Um, and I even remember we were talking about our wedding dresses and I said to Terry, I've still got mine. She said, go and try it on. So I went in, put it on, come out. Oh, man, it still fits you. And I turned around and the zipper was open about four inches down the back. <laughs> we, I remember laughing about that. And I went to bed and we said our good nights. And I went off to bed and Terry went off to bed and Doug and Dale were still out fishing. So I'll tell you my husband's side of the story. He said he came home from fishing, had a shower, went to bed. Early hours of the morning, he heard me make an unusual noise that woke him up. He knew I was in trouble. He said, I don't know how, but I knew I was, knew that I was in trouble. He jumped up, switched on the light, could see that I wasn't breathing, ran in and woke Terry and Dale up. Terry rang triple zero. Dale and Doug done CPR on me. Um... And none of them had done CPR before. So, but whatever they'd done must have been enough to keep me at least going. And Doug said, through it, Dale said, Doug, she's gone, she's gone. And um, Doug said, please don't give up. Just keep going, just keep going. And um, Terry tells me that the crying and carrying on there that the paramedic on the other end of the line or the phone said, listen for the ambulance. You'll hear the siren soon, you know. So they were encouraged when they heard the sirens coming. And Doug said they just come in, grab my feet and pull me off the bed and ordered him out because I must have hit my head on the way down to the floor. And he said, watch your head. But they weren't interested in that. And uh, they were in with me for about 30 minutes. And one of the paramedics come out and said, look, mate, we've got her back. It doesn't look good. But we'll take, we'll, she'll be going out to the base hospital. If you want to follow, you can, which Doug did. Um, I was put on life support. Uh, Father Hanley, the Catholic priest, came and anointed me. And all the boys who were away were called home. But for me, I can remember going to bed that night. The next thing I know, there's a gentle push on my back and I'm into this pit of black. It's a blackness beyond black. And I'm thinking to myself, I had no fear there, but I'm saying to myself, gee, it's dark in here. Because you don't even know, you don't realise you're dead. You just just know that something's different. 
And I'm trying to work out where I am and no fear. And then I felt the worry of the twins leave me. Any worry, concern, anything I'd ever carried through my 54 years at that time was lit when this white light shot through the darkness and surrounded me. And it was filled with love. God is love. So I'm thinking, wow. The next thing, up I go. I don't know how you do, but I was lifted up out of that darkness. And it took a few a short while, but you could see the perimeter of the light. And you could see the darkness out further. So, But, but I'm safe in this circle of love. I come up higher and higher. You just go up high. I don't know how you do, but you got up to this area of white light. It's filled with this love that's beyond comprehension. I mean, and I love my family, and and I'm sure you all do too. But it's not, I'm not, it's just beyond any love that's here. Anyway, I'm standing there in this white light. I see this young man coming for me. It was my cousin John. And he was so excited to see me. He come right up to me and I said, John. And we spoke. You, you speak with your mind. You transfer thoughts. I don't know how you do it, but that's how we spoke with our mind. And I could never remember what we spoke of. Could never, ever remember that conversation. But I can remember him being with me. He stayed with me for quite a while. Then he left. Then my girlfriend's brother, Michael, who I'd met about three times in my life, because Cheryl and her husband lived up here. He lived in Victoria, and he was a truck driver. And on occasions, he would come and have a load of either pumpkins or watermelons on and call into Serena to see his mum and Cheryl. He was, I said, good day, Michael. He was there. Yeah, we spoke. Could never remember what he said. But he's there in this, in this love. He left. John come back just for a short while, then he left. So I'm there, standing there by myself. And the white light parted into this beautiful, it was like a valley. It was the most beautiful green grass on these sloping. Off to the left was a slight, slight hill. And the green grass went up, up a bit of a slope. Down to the right, sloped down to this line of trees. Oh, I don't know what was on the other side of the line of trees. I don't know. But this grass was beyond, there was no dead patches on this grass. It was beautiful. And as I'm coming down, there's a path. And it was a winding path. And I come down and I stand on it and it had these pebbles on it that shone, that radiated light. Because as I'm coming down to it, I'm thinking, wow, look, look at that. 
I'm standing there, trying to take it all in. And off to the right, I glanced across and there was Mum and Dad. They were sitting like on a garden bench. Did I? I let out this scream. Mum, Dad! They never got up. They never looked at me, but they were waiting for me. And I was about to go, and a young man called my name. And when he spoke, I was pulled back. So I no longer got Mum and Dad in front of me, and I'm listening. And he said to me, Anne, are you ready to leave Doug and the boys? And that's when I remembered them. And I said, oh, no. And then once I made that decision, I was out of there. I was gone. And I kicked myself down for the next few months. Well, don't say that for. It was just, it was beyond. So I'm, I'm, I'm back here. And I, I didn't know what to do with myself because I had the experience. And, and while I was in hospital, out at the base hospital, my friends had come because I was trying to tell everybody. They said, we knew you had some sort of an experience because everything else was rubbish. But you kept your story pretty straight. You, you never deviated off your story. And I said, well, it was a profound experience. But anyway, because they thought, oh, mum's going to be as silly as this from here on in. The doctor said, no, she's on pretty high um, morphine. And they said that would be sending her like like what I was, all the rubbish I was talking, I suppose. I was airlifted to Prince Charles Hospital in Brisbane by air ambulance. And, um, and I had a pacemaker and defibrillator inserted. But I wanted to tell everybody. My husband said, oh, mate, look, they'll lock you up if you <laughs> want to be trying to tell everybody. And I said, but they, people got to know how much they are loved. The love beyond, you know, the love we have for our family here is strong. But this, this love is and it's unconditional love. There's no conditions with it. It's just pure love. Um uh, and I mean, I wasn't healed straight away. I was, like I said, referred to the heart and lung transplant unit, um, which is at the Holy Spirit Hospital. And Prince Charles Hospital and Holy Spirit Hospital are in the same ground. And it was 18 months of being on the transplant list that we you go to Prince Charles Hospital and have an echocardiogram done and you get your results and take it over to the Holy Spirit Hospital. And this young man did the echo and then an older man come in and done it, redone it. And I thought, that's strange. And they never spoke much to me. And I, when I finished, I said to Cheryl, I think it, the heart must be really bad because it was done twice. She said, no, just wait. So we got the results. So we go to the Holy Spirit Hospital waiting there for my time to go in to see Dr. Galbraith. By this time, I'm desperate to get my licence back and I thought, I'm going to ask him, can I get my licence back? 
So I walked in and he said, Ian, what have you been doing? And I said, oh, nothing much. Can I get my license back? <laughs> he said, girl, you can do whatever you want. Wow. The percentage of my heart that was functioning was less than 20% in the last echo that I'd done three months earlier. It had jumped up into the normal range, which was 48%. It said it's the lower part of normal, but it's in the normal range. And he said, you do not have to come back here to this unit again. You know, I was dumbfounded. He was dumbfounded. I was happy. Um, so when I got out and told Cheryl, we thought we'll go and have a cup of tea on that one. And um, when I got home, I told Doug. And Doug and my husband said, look, love, I think I'll find myself a job. And then I said, right, yeah. So he went back to work with his, my full-time carer. I said, I'll be all right. And then I went back to work for six years. And I tell my story wherever I can, wherever I go. And um, um, and God is love. God is love. And he loves each and every one of us more than we ever realise. We won't realise it till we go home. So that's my story, good dear people, and I, I hope I've given um, a little bit of joy and courage in your life journey. Um, I mean, I'm coming to the end of mine, and I'm happy to go. And what these past 18 years gives you a new perspective on life and death, and there's no need to fear because if you've if you've if you're a, a good person, and the thing is, I come back with not to judge anybody. So I know that if you're not a judgmental person, the good Lord will always have mercy for us all. So I thank you all. You took me from tears to joy <laughs> in less than 20 minutes. And what were the years after you went back to work? Like once you were healed... What happened, how did you live life differently and what happened to those naughty little twins that weren't actually <laughs> so little? No, they were about 18 at the time. They're 38 now. Um, no, 37 now. So, um, no, no, I mean, it didn't change anybody, you know. And um, But what I learnt was to surrender them to our Lord Jesus Christ. And once you do that, let him say, I can't do it. I mean, it wouldn't matter what you said. They're not going to listen to you if they don't want to. So, and you wouldn't believe what good men they are now, you know. But by gee, it was just, oh, <laughs> I wouldn't put any mother through, you know. But, um, yeah, and... Going back to work, I thought I'm no good at home if I'm because I'm not helping anybody that I'm feeling so much better and had I believe a, a healing. And I thought in mind and body, and I thought I have got to let people know. Um, so I went back to work. And when I went for the interview, I said, look, I've had a cardiac I wrote in the director, I said, look, I've had a cardiac arrest a couple of years back. But I said, um, 
I'm wanting to go back to work. And she looked at me and uh, she said, well, Anne, I've just got the right spot for you. And so it was out in the cottages with the able-bodied residents and um, I went back for six years. But because I knew some of the girls there, whenever they had a problem, they would come to me and say, Anne, would you please pray for whatever the problem was? I said, look, you you can do this yourself, you know, too. I said, I will always pray for you. But I said, you need to be doing it yourself too. So, no, all, the girls were all very encouraging because the first couple of weeks I thought, oh, no, I, I don't think I can do this. It was, and one of the registered nurses come up to me and said, Anne, um, you give yourself time, keep going because we need uh, people like you. And I thought, well, that, those words of encouragement gave me the strength. I thought, no, I've got to keep going. I've got to keep going. And which I, I lasted for six years. So, um, yeah, and it was just that I was getting older that I uh, decided I, I've had enough. I've uh, hopefully done what I can. And uh, with our prayer group, we pray for everybody and anybody. And um, we just love it because we love our Lord Jesus Christ. So that's all. Um, and and I, just, I don't, yeah. I personally don't use a sort of a Christian language when, when I pray or meditate. Yeah, yeah. Um, and you know how you said you handed over all your problems to the Lord Jesus Christ, especially yeah, with yeah. the twins. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and he took very good care of them. It would seem. Well, it, but it took time, love. It wasn't like it was overnight. Mm. You've got to be, you've got to be vigilant in what you're doing. Mm. If you know what I mean. So I was going to ask you because you said God is love. And God I, is love. So if I hand over my problems to love, in the same kind of way you hand over your problems to the Lord Jesus Christ, is it kind of the same? No, I, d- I don't know, love. I, I don't know enough about, um, you know, I was brought up in a Catholic faith uh, and so it's embedded in me that Jesus Christ is our Lord and Saviour um, So and God the Father was always sort of in the background a bit. So I really, I wouldn't be judging anybody on what their thoughts are because I believe we've got to find out for ourselves. It's great to hear encouraging words and everything, but for me, my truth is that Jesus Christ is Lord and Saviour and I'll follow him. And because he says in the Bible, I am the way, the truth and the light. No one goes to the Father except through me. So I better take that on board. So to answer your question, love, I wouldn't like to give an answer because it might be the wrong one and I would not like to lead you astray, you know. Mm. But it sounds wonderful. It does sound wonderful. Mm. So were you brought up in any faith or? Not exactly. Um, I went to boarding school and was force-fed Anglican and Presbyterian Christianity. 
Yeah. And since then, I've looked everywhere. (laughs) And what I've found is that there's always a trinity, whether it's the Father, the Son and the Holy Ghost or whether it's something else, there's always a trinity. And the qualities are always around love, joy, compassion, mercy, forgiveness. And so I've come to the conclusion for me that it doesn't matter the name that I use. It matters the feelings I have and the the faith and trust I have in love. Yeah, well, love, if, you, if that's what you believe, good, good for you. Um, but, I mean, I wouldn't even dare say to anybody what my, um, what I, I know is my truth. I wouldn't push it on to anybody. Like, I mean, the Jehovah Witnesses come here and we, I invite them in and we have a lovely cup of tea together and we talk the Bible and everything. But they their thoughts on uh, the Trinity is completely different to what uh, my perspective is. But I love them and they love me because you can tell it because um, they'll hug you as you go out, as they go out the door. Uh, but I, I, we don't, I said, look, it's lovely you come. I'll always make you welcome. But do not try to change me because, well, no one's going to change me. Uh, but I said that I am happy to discuss the Bible with you whenever or whenever you like. And so with that, they're happy with that. And um, they come back every Wednesday, they do. Not now with the coronavirus, but every Wednesday they come back now. Wow. And what um, about your, what did you learn about how we're, to me, you know, as we live an everyday earthly life, you know, we we see it, hear it, taste it, touch it, smell it. Yep. But there's, there just is more to it than that, isn't there? You, you know, we don't yeah. touch love. You know, we, we see perhaps it's, you know, a husband that we love. We see a person, but the love isn't in them. It's between us. Yeah, well, you can't see, see love. Yes. You can definitely feel love. And if you – the thing is, when you sort of have an experience I have, it gives you a whole new outlook on life. Well, well it would have to, wouldn't it? I mean, because it's just, it's so profound. Um, There's only one woman who ever questioned. She said, I hope, Anne, that you're telling me the truth. Um, I I said, I've never deviated from the story because it is the truth. But I said, look, why would you be bothered doing it for nearly 18 years? This is about 12 months ago. She said this to me. I said, I can't remember what I did last week. How could I remember something eight years ago if it wasn't such a profound experience, you know? And I said, and I had to be dead to do it. So, and I know I was because my husband found me and I wasn't breathing. And so I said, it's not only my job to tell it. It's not my job to make you believe it. It's just my job to tell it. And with that, she sort of looked at me and had a tear in her eye and I said, well, 
that's just it, lovers. You can't make anyone believe what you're trying to say because, like I said, I want to stop everyone and say, excuse me, do you know how much God loves you? And Doug said, oh, mate, they'll run you in. <laughs> <laughs> I said, he thought I was going nuts. Oh, God. My husband's not a Catholic. I, we were married in the Catholic Church, but I never pushed it on to him. And... Um, so he's just been a bystander in it all. But now he knows something special happened that night. Yeah, life just, it's just a whole new life. And once you let your family go, as in, but I never was one to interfere or anything, but I'd worry about everything. But once you hand it over to our Lord, it just, just all dissipates into yeah, because they're on their life journey and they got a, they're men now. They're not kids anymore. Um, Doug and I give them a good grounding, I believe, you know. We um, gave them a good life and they brought up in the faith. Wasn't real strict, though, I can assure you. <laughs> but, um, yeah, no, it's been a, been a wonderful life. I look back, even my childhood with mum and dad, how dad was a returned soldier and he'd, he'd get uh, Friday, Saturday nights, he'd get a bit tiddly, I can assure you. Mum used to get cranky with him. But there they both are in in heaven. So how good is that? It's just, thank you it's so just, much. Thank you so no, much. No, I love that. It's fine. I'm happy to do it. 